You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Good morning. Great to be with you. If we've not met before, uh, some of you are new. Uh, My name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'd just like to extend a welcome to you uh, and say it's so wonderful to have you here with us today. And uh, we're sort of wrapping up a study we've been in for the whole fall. Uh, It's out of the book of 1 Thessalonians, which is a book in the New Testament. And we'll wrap it up next week, and then we will have uh, very specific Christmas services on the 22nd and the 24th. Um, but today we're in 1 Thessalonians 5. If you don't have a Bible, if you grab one under the seat in front of you, you can turn to page 574. And, uh, you know, Advent is a time of, uh, Advent, the word Advent means coming. We sometimes just associate it with Christmas. You think Advent means Christmas, but actually Advent means coming or appearing. It's the coming of the Lord. And in traditional Advent celebrations, there's not only the look backward for the awaiting of Christ's first coming, but there is the look forward to his second coming. So actually, uh, though we are not in a traditional uh, Advent text, we are in First Thessalonians, uh, there are Advent themes here for sure, because last week and this week we are talking about the return of Christ. If you have questions about anything we're talking about today, if you text them to the number on the screen, uh, we do a podcast during the week where we try to answer questions and try to give the sermon a little bit more shelf life. Uh, And we actually, we talk about all kinds of stuff, but uh, primarily about this, whatever we're talking about this Sunday. So we will record that and that podcast will be available. You can get it at the website uh, on Wednesday. Well, there's two big questions. One, everybody asks, and the second, certainly Christians ask. But the first big question is, what happens to us when we die? What happens when we die? That was a question that this church had, the church at Thessalonica, some 2,000 years ago. And Paul wrote in chapter 4, verse 13, we looked at this last week, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And we saw that he's using sleep as a euphemism for death there. And he's speaking of what happens to folks who believe in Christ when they die. What happens? And so that's what we looked at last week, and we saw that there was this tremendous encouragement to the Christians in Thessalonica that had lost friends or family that had died uh, as they were awaiting Christ's return. And he he promised them that when Christ returned, your loved ones who believed will be with Christ. Uh, They will return with him, and then we'll all be gathered with him uh, for eternity. It was very encouraging how he spoke to them. In this text this week in chapter 5, he's answering a second question, which is, when will Christ return? Now, that may not be a question that those who don't believe in Jesus are asking, uh, but it is a question that those who follow Christ are asking. It's an important question. When will Christ return? That was a second question that the Thessalonians have. What happens when you die? When will Christ return? And he is going to address that in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, so that they may live in the here and now. That's what we're calling this series. They may live in the here and now with that day in view, that that day is to inform and to affect and to direct this day. So chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, this is God's word. 
Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet... The, how, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Have you ever um, heard someone have a conversation and you only hear one side of the conversation and through what they're saying, especially if they speak really loudly on the phone like I do, I speak really loud on the phone. So it's, if there's talking on the phone, you can sort of piece together or at least you're trying to piece together what the other person is saying. Do you ever do that? Listen to other people's? Okay, just me. Uh, well, then that's a confession, I suppose. But uh, So that's kind of what it's like to read a letter in the New Testament. You only get one side of the conversation. You can only hear what Paul is saying loudly in 1 Thessalonians 5. But because of what he's saying, you can sort of piece together what was on the other end. That is, in this situation, what is it that the Thessalonians were asking about? Timothy has come back from a visit to Thessalonica, and he is given Paul an update, and now there are issues that Paul is addressing. And one of the key common phrases that Paul uses when he's responding to a question being asked on the other side is found in verse 1. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, concerning. Okay, now concerning, it's, it's like saying, now I want to address your question about the times and seasons of Christ's return. He, he is using a language, he uses this in his other letters, that he is transitioning here in this section to their questions about the timing of Christ's return. They may be asking, hey, we don't know the moment of Christ's return, but can you tell us what is the season of his return going to be like? What is the general time going to be like? How will we know when it's almost time for his return. And he says there's no need to speculate because we don't know and won't know. His return will be unexpected, like he says, a thief in the night. Now, here's what stands out to me about this section, this these verses that we're reading right here. Paul told, tells them, you already know this. Now, concerning the times and seasons, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, he tells them, you know this for sure, but likely they are still asking questions about it. 
even though they know you can't really know the time, yet it's still a question. And it's likely because there, there is a question behind the question. So when's Christ going to return? He says, you, you know that we don't really know that. But there's a question behind the question, and that's what he's going to an- answer. You know what that means, the question behind the question? If you're a husband and your wife says, hey, do you have any plans coming up on Saturday? That's not really the question. The question is not uh, a calendar curiosity question. The question is because, because of a reason. Uh, do you have any plans for Saturday? Um, well, you, you, you answer that very carefully. I'm not sure. <laughs> or I'm checking on, I'm working on something. What would you have in mind? Because the question behind the question is, could you hang out with the kids so that I can, uh, you know, so that I can go out with my friend? And the answer to that is always yes. Husbands, the answer is always yes. Or, you know, do you have any plans Saturday? Well, not really. Oh, good, because I have a surprise planned. Or let's have the Smiths over for dinner. Or my mom's coming to stay for a month. Or whatever. They, whatever the, there's always a question behind the question. When the question is, is your Saturday free? And the presenting question here is not really about when Christ returned, but it's probably, if we can listen to the other side of the conversation and imagine, when we look at his answer, we see that probably the question they're really asking is, are we ready for his return? The question we're really asking is, are we safe and secure until his return? The question that's really on their mind is probably something like, uh, could be something like, you know, when he returns and comes in judgment, are we ready for his judgment? And Paul's response is, hey, you're going to be fine. Don't worry about the timing. Just live ready for his return. That's what this passage is all about, living ready. He's saying he's going to tell them, realize who you are in Christ You are people of the light, people of the day, so be awake. That's what daytime's for. Be alert. That's what a person of the light who's in the daytime is. And and await his coming salvation. We don't know when Jesus will return, but just live as a person in the day, alert, sober, aware, ready. Just live ready. And he gives them really three reasons here to live ready. The first one is live ready because Christ's return will be sudden. Live ready because Christ's return will be sudden. This is the first three verses. Now let's notice what he calls Christ's return here. He says, verse 2, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The day of the Lord is a phrase taken straight out of the Old Testament, straight out of the Old Testament, and it is used by the prophets to describe the time when God will intervene on planet earth and judge his enemies and rescue or restore his people. And the day of the Lord in the Old Testament has both positive and negative connotations, For instance, the prophet Joel calls it the great and terrible day of the Lord. Paul will go on to comfort the Thessalonians about the great day of judgment. It's a day of destruction for those who have rejected Christ, but it's a day of rescue for believers in Christ, and he wants them to know it is not a day of terror for them. 
It is not a day to fear in the sense that there's some harm awaiting them because they are in Christ. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 9, God has not destined us for wrath. So the day of the Lord is the revealing of Christ. It is the revealing of God's judgment. But those in Christ will be spared his judgment. So you see, you, what he's saying is you don't need anybody to tell you when the Lord's coming. It's going to be sudden, so live ready for that time. Now, this passage doesn't give us the day, but it does describe the nature of his coming. Suddenly. And he gives two analogies to explain how the Lord will return. The first analogy uh, is that of a thief in the night, <clears throat> which was a famous movie from the 1970s, uh, that if you saw it, you were nodding your head uh, right now. If you didn't see it, don't. Uh, but that was a movie in the 70s that we talked about at length on last week's podcast. But uh, Christ's return will come like a thief in the night. He's not comparing Jesus to a thief. Uh, he's not saying Jesus will come like a thief. But he's making the point that Jesus' coming is similar to a thief's coming. It is sudden and it is unexpected. It's unexpected. A burglar doesn't make an appointment with you. Burglar doesn't say, hey, listen, I understand that you guys will be out of town for the Christmas holidays, so would it be okay if I were to, let's say, could I come by like 3 a.m. on December 26th and steal all your valuable possessions? If that doesn't work, is another time preferable, uh, you know, with a presumptive close on how he's going to show up and steal your stuff. No, a burglar shows up when you aren't expecting him or her, and, and so it is with Jesus, It'll come when you're not expecting him. He uses a second comparison to further explain Christ's return, and that is a woman in labor. Verse 3, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. Now, labor pains like the return of the Lord, aren't completely unexpected. So when he says unexpected, it doesn't mean like, wow, we never even knew this would happen happen. Uh, A woman who is pregnant knows that labor is coming, but labor still, or the onset of labor pains, can come suddenly. Uh, They still come suddenly, and they bring an unavoidable result. They are unavoidable, which is what the idea is here. So the burglar is sudden and unexpected. A woman giving birth, those pains are sudden and unavoidable. John Stott says of this, in the first analogy, there will be no warning. In the second analogy, there will be no escape. These are the ideas. No warning and no escape. Uh, Verse 3, he says that while people are saying there is peace and security, sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So there's an inevitability, an inescapability to the Lord's return. It's interesting, in the ESV, the translators have put, there is peace and security, while people are saying, there is peace and security, in quotes. Why is that? Well, he's probably taking a shot at Roman propaganda. Uh, This was the time of the Pax Romana, the great Roman peace, and Rome was very bold in their announcement that we, through our power, 
uh, and through our, you know, our military strength and other, we have, uh, we have brought in a great peace that no one, as long as you do what we say, there is a great peace uh, that no one can mess with. And he says, hey, when people are saying we've got this under control, we have the power, we will instill the peace, we will ensure peace that uh, j- just beware, the Lord can interrupt that and bring destruction to those who are claiming peace at any moment. So it's probably a shot at Roman propaganda. This is probably a poster, a saying uh, that, is, that is out there. And he's saying, when that happens, realize Christ will come suddenly, he will come unexpectedly, and he will come unavoidably. That is, those who will face judgment will not be able to get out of it, even, even through human strength and means. So live ready because his coming will be sudden. Secondly, he says, live ready because you are daytime people. That may not be a phrase that you're familiar with or have heard. I'm not sure I've ever heard it, but it's, we've all heard it now, I just said it, but the idea of being a daytime person I think is a real key in this text. Paul calls the Thessalonians to live out of their identity. This is how Christianity, generally speaking, works. Christianity is not about here's the list of moral codes and here's the list of stylistic choices and here's the list of external behaviors and if you do all of those, you are a Christian. It is rather you are dead, spiritually dead. Jesus comes and makes you alive and he gives you a new identity. That's what Christianity, you're a new person. You go from death to life, from blindness to sight, from hating God to being his friend. So you are made a new person, and then the rest of your life until his return, you are to live out what he's already said to be true of you, what he's already proclaimed over you, what what he's already put inside of you by his Holy Spirit. You live that out, and you stop living out the old life. You put that off, would be the language of the New Testament, and you put on the new life, which he has made you. And that's what he says here. He says to them, look at all the identity statements in verses 4 and 5. But you are not in darkness, brothers. So he's saying, here's who you are, Thessalonians. You're not people of lights out. You're not people of the darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. So you're not ultimately going to be surprised. You know he's coming. You may not know the exact time or season, but you know he's coming. Verse 5, for you are all children of light. This is what he says. You are people that live with the lights on. You're not in a dark room. You're living your life with the lights on. You are children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. I mean, how many ways can he say that in two verses? You live in light, not in dark. You live in the daytime, not in the nighttime. And because you were people of the light, people of the day, you are to be alert. You are to be aware. Because you know Jesus, you are spiritually a daytime person. Some people will say, are you a, like, you like late nights or early morning? Are you an evening person or a morning person? Spiritually, there are two kinds of people. There are daytime people and nighttime people, and it's not based on what time of the hour you prefer or when you are most alert. It, it, it has to do with are you in Christ or are you not? Because if you are, you are a daytime person. 
You are either in the light or the dark regarding Jesus, and your identity dictates your behavior. In verse 6, he says, so, so there's all the identity statements, light, dark, day, night. Verse 6, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and sober. What's he saying? Because you're a daytime person, this isn't a time to sleep. It's noon. This isn't sleep time. It's beyond sleeping in and it's beyond early bedtime. It's noon. Everybody's supposed to be up and awake. So let's keep awake, he says. Let's keep sober. Verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. He's saying that don't give in to nighttime activities because you're part of the day. Here's some nighttime activities. Sleep. Here's a nighttime activity. Drunkenness. And in both conditions, you're not aware. You're just not aware. I can't tell you what happened at 3 a.m. last night. I was asleep. I was asleep. I did not know. So he's saying, don't, don't do nighttime stuff like being asleep or being drunk. This, this, is, uh, this is really an interesting way, I believe, to think through the Christian life. Verse 8, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the helmet of salvation. An interesting and helpful way to understand how we live in Christ, as Christians in the world. There's a lot of images of how we are to live in the world as Christians. And this is one that maybe you haven't thought of. It's a metaphor that I find very, very helpful. He's saying we are on a different timetable than those who don't know Christ. We're living at a different period in a 24-hour day than, than you were before you knew Christ. Before you knew Christ, your life was midnight. Once you met Jesus, your life became noon. So you are living, it's a metaphor for you are living at different parts of the day. So those who don't know Christ live unaware spiritually. They're unaware. They're unalert. They are sleepy. They are drowsy. They may be drunk. They are missing out on the spiritual reality and the vitality that Jesus Christ has died and has risen and is alive and is ruling and reigning and is, and is, is working in the lives of all who submit to his lordship, who believe him. It doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't matter who rules in what office anywhere on the planet. Jesus is king over all. And some see that and some don't. Those in the day see that. It doesn't mean that Christians are better than at all. It just means that Jesus has opened their eyes and they are alert. They're not sleepy or drowsing. Drowsy, but they are, we're called to be awake, knowing Christ, living out his calling in our life. Believers are alive, alert. We're to be tuned into the Lord and tuned into all that is going on around us. We are to live differently. We are to live with a different awareness, with a different purpose. And yet we're all occupying the same space. So we can tell if it's daytime or nighttime by the sky. You walk outside, you can see the sun's out today, you know it's daytime. But the weird thing about this is we're all occupying the same space, the same office, the same neighborhood, the same shopping mall this time of year, wherever it is, or the same restaurant. We're all occupying the same space, but for some people it's daytime and for some people it's nighttime. Uh, on our 20th anniversary, Ginger and I had a really kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go to Hawaii. And 
One of the things I remember about that was the time change. And when we got there, I can remember, you know, getting there, and it's supposed to be like the ultimate relaxation kind of place, and yet I'm up at 4 a.m., wide awake. I remember getting there just wide awake at 4 a.m. Everyone in Hawaii, unless they caught the same flight we did, everyone in Hawaii is asleep. It's dark outside, and I'm living alert and wide awake, supposed to be relaxing and resting, but wide awake and feeling guilty that I'm wide awake. I should be sleeping because I'm going to be tired later today, and we're going to go on some outing, and I'm going to be crashed out, and I'm going to be wrong. While it's daytime, I'm going to feel like nighttime, but I just remember, you know, being whatever it is, however many hours off, five hours, I don't know what it is, but being different time, and it, it feels like four in the morning to me. That's what it's like to be a Christian. It's daytime for you when it may be dark for every one around you at the time. We have, just like you have a body clock, you have a spiritual clock. And following Jesus means to live awake while everyone else is sleeping. That's what he's saying here. You don't live as people of the night in darkness, sleeping or drunk. He says, verse 6, you let us keep awake and be sober. We belong to the day. Let us be sober, sober, having put on the, the breastplate of faith and love. Live awake. What does this mean? Well, he gives us a few things that this means. First, <clears throat> it means that if you live awake, you're not going to be surprised by Christ's return in an ultimate sense. We saw that. The moment, we don't know. But he says it won't, verse 5, verse 4, surprise you as a thief. So in other words, we're anticipating Christ's return. And part of living in the day is that we're living with that anticipation. We're to live expectantly. Secondly, if you live awake, your life will be different. <clears throat> verse 8, he says, awake people put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet uh, the hope of salvation. Okay, so he's moving his metaphors, daytime to nighttime people. Now we're talking about soldiers. And he says that your life is in the day and your life is as a soldier. So you're to be alert and to be awake as a soldier and you are to wear over your heart to protect your vital organs, the breastplate. That's what the breastplate is. You are to wear this, uh, you know, we'd have a bulletproof vest maybe is what we would have. But for them, it'd be the breastplate of faith and love. You are to cultivate faith in God. You are to live aware of him, trusting him, confident in him, relying on him, receiving his very gifts by grace, trusting him, believing that in, in his power to rule over all the difficulties you face. And you are to live a life of love. You're in a battle and you are to live lovingly towards others. This is not a time to sleep. Get your gear on Trust the Lord and love people. Uh, look for opportunities to express the love of Christ. Be not only aware of God by faith, but be aware of the needs of others. Living out love for your neighbor. Engaging the needs of those around you. In your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. Wherever you engage people. 
So he said, this is what you're supposed to be. You're not supposed to be living a selfish, self-oriented, empty life in the darkness, medicating away all of your hurt and pain, in this case through drunkenness or through any other idolatrous means. You're to be in the game, alert, alive, and well, empowered by the Spirit, aware of what's going on, trusting the Lord and loving other people. Don't be asleep on the job is what he is saying here. Christ is alive and he lives in you. And then you were to live with this hope, he says, the helmet of salvation. So they would wear a, head, uh, a helmet as a protection for the head, and that is hope. Always living with a hope for salvation, stirring and cultivating hope in Christ, anticipating his return, living this day in light of that day. Faith, love, and hope. He says, this is what it means to be alive. Now, he started the whole letter with that. If you go back at chapter 1, Verse 3, he says, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. He says, I give thanks for you always. Why? Because uh, by grace you did works of faith. You labored in love and you've lived with hope. He says, this is who you are. That's where he starts the whole letter. I remember this about you. And now he's saying, don't worry about the exact moment of Christ's return. Just live awake. Just live uh, faithfully. Just uh, live ready in the same way that you've been living. Trusting God, loving others, and anticipating his return. And lastly, we do this together. We live ready to encourage one another. We live ready because his return will be sudden. We live ready uh, as, uh, that's the first point. The second point was we live ready because we are daytime people. And the third idea is that we live ready uh, to encourage one another. Eschatology, that is the study of last things, the study of these kinds of things, uh, the return of Christ and the future uh, new heaven and new earth. These kinds of doctrines are called eschatology, which literally means the study of last things. Um, eschatology should always lead to encouragement for the Christian. If your eschatology leads you to panic, you're not doing it right. You're not reading it right. It should lead you to comfort, not in activity. It should lead us to activity. It should lead us to radical obedience. It should lead us to evangelism. It doesn't lead us to inactivity, but it shouldn't lead us to uh, fear. It's not primarily a doctrine that we just like burn time in speculation and what-if scenarios, but it's something that should actually compel us to love God and love others. And therefore, he says in verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We need one another. We need one another. This is the same language he used at the end of chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 18, encourage one another with these words. Chapter 5, verse 11, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. He's writing to a church about how these church members are to relate together. Do I need the church? Well, do you want to be encouraged and built up in Christ? Or do you want to be isolated? Do you want to be a person of the light or a person of the darkness? you want to live in the day or live in the night? I think that's the answer. Do I need the people of God? Do I need connection? Do I need to know and share my life and, and uh, bear the burdens of others? Encourage one another and build one another up. You cannot obey that scripture in isolation. 
and you cannot benefit from what God has for you in isolation because this works both ways. We're all called to encourage. We're all called to build people up, but then you're also going to be the recipient of encouragement and the recipient of being built up as well. It's a two-way street. So we need one another. Live ready because we need one another. And it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to get lost in all that's going on, to lose our way, to become... I mean, really, if you look around at the world, I'm sure every generation has said this, but it it just seems to me pretty chaotic. And it just seems to me like there's a lot of temptation to fear, a lot of temptation to discouragement, a lot of temptation to what's going to happen. Friday night... Bob, uh, Bob Hughes and I had the opportunity to go to, to hang out with the young adults and be at uh, Rooted. And uh, it was a Q&A time where they had prepared some, question, uh, some questions and, uh, and we were supposed to bring answers. But they were like really hard questions. They were like, well, so tell us, you know, what's your favorite ice cream? And, uh, you know, if you could have the perfect vacation, where would you go? They, these were not the questions. They asked, and we thankfully knew the questions ahead of time, because if we didn't know any of them, I'd have been gone after the second question. I'd I'd have tapped out. But they were questions about war, immigration, refugees, the, the safety of those in persecution, and the safety of our nation, abortion, sexuality in this culture, and How's it being expressed? What's acceptable and where is it going? Gender issues, sexuality, that sort of thing. They were, they were heavy, heavy questions. And when you thought about where our culture is and some of the questions they were asking, I, I was just thinking, man, if you just read the headlines, dude, it's just hopeless. Just, you just want to tap out. You want to say the direction is in so many areas, is just not good in this country. I don't care if you're on the left or the right, Democrat or Republican, everybody's saying the same thing. It ain't good. And so the reality is, with those kind of things, if we just look to external things, we easily can become discouraged. And we need one another to encourage one another in the things he's talking about here. I found as the evening went on and as there was discussion, dialogue, this kind of thing, as we thought about Christ and his rule and how we can't answer, none of us can, all those questions. We don't know what's coming. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know, but we know who rules and who reigns and who will come back and make all things new. We know who died for our sins. We know our position before God. We know he's made us people of the day. We know we have tremendous hope because you will not suffer the wrath of God, he says, verse 9, but we are destined to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that, and that's good news, and I don't know about you, but I get lost in my own head, and I need somebody to tell me the good news I, I believe this stuff, I live this stuff like you, I read this stuff, I teach this stuff, but I lose my way on any given moment in any given day like we all do. And I need the people of God to encourage me and to remind me. And so do you. What do we need to be reminded of to move from fear to hope? Well, look at verse 9 and 10. I love this. Therefore, encourage one another. So we got to go back and see what we're supposed to encourage one another with. Verse 9, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might, not, we might live with him. 
Here's what we encourage one another with. There is the past action of Jesus, there is the present action of Jesus, and there is the future action of Jesus in these three verses. This is what we encourage one another with. God has not destined us for wrath, but to establish, uh, but to obtain salvation through the Lord. He's saying, on the day of the Lord, which is coming, you will not taste judgment, which you deserve, and I deserve. You will not taste the anger of God against the rebellion of humanity humanity, you will taste the forgiveness and the salvation promised you in Christ. That's coming. So encourage one another and build one another up with what's coming. Then he says, Jesus, who, verse 10, died so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. So encourage one another with the truth that he died. Not only is he coming, but he died. He took our sins upon himself. He was buried, and he rose again, coming to life to defeat the power of sin and gave us his Holy Spirit. So encourage one another and tell each other that Jesus died for us, gave us new life, and that makes all the difference. And encourage one another that whether we are awake or asleep, we might, might live present tense with him. He died past tense. He'll spare us from the wrath to come future tense. Present tense, we live with him. In other words, he's with us. Because he died, he's with us now by his spirit and he's coming for us. So encourage one another with this word. Encourage one another with what Jesus has done in the past, what he will do in the future, and about his presence with us today. Don't stumble drunk in the dark and forget about that. Don't sleep through that, but be wide awake as daytime people, living ready for his sudden return. He tells them, look, you don't have to worry about the time. Put the charts away. Put the speculations away. Put this, this prediction of who the Antichrist is away. Put your headlines away. People have been reading the headlines for 2,000 years saying it's this generation, it's this decade, it's this year, and to date they're all wrong because he hadn't come. So everybody's been wrong so far. Everybody, zero for one million predictions. That's the rate so far. Unless you've made a future prediction, then we'll see. But okay, but if it's, if it's up till today... It's all been wrong. So don't live in this speculation. Just live ready. Just live ready is what he says, knowing that Christ is with you, that he's died for you, and that he's coming back for you. And so we want to be awake as daytime people. That's the whole charge of the passage, remembering the work of grace. What, what dulls you to the day? Let me ask that. What, what makes you drowsy and sleepy at noon spiritually? You live at noon spiritually as a Christian. You're alive. But what makes you drowsy what, what makes you a little less aware? In what ways are you living in the night, even though you're a daytime person? What are those things? What are those temptations? We have to be aware of what dulls us to alertness. What, what takes the edge off your alertness? Alcohol can take the edge off. Drunkenness is removing the edge and everything else along with it so that you don't know, and so that you're unaware, and so that you escape. Where are you escaping from the day and hiding out in the dark? What, what is it in your life that, that is a temptation that just, let's shut the blinds and get in the darkness because the light's a little bright for me right now. And on the other hand, what wakes you up? What's the alarm that says it's dark outside, but you're supposed to be up getting ready because you're a person of the day, and we're starting our day now, what wakes you up? 
Do you anticipate his return? He says here, this is all about, the, it's so interesting, he ties daytime to alertness and awareness so that you're not taken by surprise. Burglars don't come in in the middle of the day, knock on the door, say, hi, here's my card, I'm a burglar. Could I come in and, uh, no, no, not at all. That's not how it works, uh, not at all. So are you living in the day? Are you anticipating his return so that you're not completely caught off, meaning that you don't live with his return in view. How can you cultivate an anticipation for his return? How can you cultivate a longing and a hope for the return of Christ? And what difference could that make in your day today? How would we live differently today if we lived anticipating his return, longing to see him, expecting to see him? Where's your hope? I love this, the helmet of salvation. What do you keep up on your head And up on my head, top of my head at all times, hope in Christ. We live in a world that has so little hope. Man, if you can just offer some little hope, even a false hope, you can win an election, man, at any office. People who peddle hope will always have a place in this culture, in any culture, I suppose. If you can peddle convincingly hope, doors will open for you. And there are many false hopes, but there's one true hope. And it's, the, it's Jesus Christ and his return. It's knowing him. It's the new heavens and the new earth. It's living out our purposes now, which will just translate and be far greater and far more wonderful uh, in the new heaven and new earth. How do we encourage each other? Here's a question. How can I encourage others in the past, present, and future of God's work? Encourage one another and build each other up. How, Paul? Uh, by, by the past, present, and future work of Jesus. That's how we encourage each other. How can I tangibly do that? These are questions I'm drawing from the text that saying, how can we apply this? I don't know what the answer is for you, but what do you need to do to be awake? What do you need to, how do you need to open yourself to the Lord to live in a state of being awake? They're asking, when is he coming? And the goal is not to know when he's coming, just to live ready. People of the day, called to live faithfully in our responsibilities, eager for his return to make all things new, and along the way, encouraging as many people as we can to know and to believe in Jesus and to continue following, keeping the lights on for those who believe, for we are people of the day. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that you have sent Jesus for us in the past, that Jesus will return for us in the future, and that he lives with us in the present today. And there's some of us in the room that really need this reminder today. We have lost our way. We are stumbling around in the dark. And we know you. And yet we have, we're, we're, we're not alert. We're not aware. We're just living, uh, living asleep. We're sleepwalking, even though we're people of the day. So we pray that you would give an awakening to us today. We pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to be alert to the gospel, to be affected by the good news. And I pray for those who've never been in the light, that today would be the day that you would grant them light, that you would give them new life, that you would move them from death to life. Give them the gift of faith that they may believe in you, trust you, and lean on you for salvation today. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. 
To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.